Everything we do is based in expectation. I challenge people all the time, tell me something you do that is not, not based in an expectation. And it's really, really hard to do. And I haven't had anybody actually tell me something that they've done that isn't based in an expectation because it, it's the precursor to all of our, our actions. And by working at the root of what people want I call it wants, needs, and desires are, and figuring them out and, de and, and defining them, then we can start moving through what's bothering them and what's, what's causing them anxiety, stress, depression. All of those things are all based in unmet expectations. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, when we think about success in life, do you think that we get disappointed over expectations or expectations gap? Well, today's guest, Art Costello, has written the book, Expectation Therapy. It really came out of a traumatic time in his life where his wife passed away from cancer. He went into a spiral and then as a result of that really came back up and it's rejuvenating. Now, many of you are familiar with Colonel Sanders who started Kentucky Fried Chicken and the fact that he was in his 60s before he started it. Well, not to label Art an elder, but Art started this whole program of transforming people's lives right around the age of 60. When many people talk about millennials or other ages, people 30 or 40 or rocking it online, well, Art's rocking online with thousands and thousands of followers. So I encourage you to you know, spend the time with this show. Now, as always, we thank you for listening to The Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on. Let other people know. Leave a positive comment in whatever platform you're listening to. Now, one of the things we do talk about is, you know, expectations that comes out of clarity. Clarity is around knowing your purpose. And so we've written the book, The Quest for Purpose. So that's something that's there. In addition to that, I just want to encourage that we have this new course. Now, depending on when you're listening to this, on clarifying your values. What do you really value? When you know that you know that you know, you can walk in this space of energy, of being energized. And so go to crgleader.com, go to our online courses around online, or why don't you, or what do you really value, and the values preference indicator. And in that course, I take you through a step-by-step -step process to clarify your values, then make sure they're congruent. And then from there, what is the step-by-step -step plan to implement and have your values fulfilled? And guess what? Only you get to decide if they're fulfilled or not. And Art and I talk about this in the show today, just how important that is as part of his four-step process for expectation therapy. So thank you for listening, for being a Secrets of Success listener. So here's our guest, Art Costello. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, we are so privileged to have a fellow podcast host on the show today who, similar to CRG's work, really helps individuals to get connected to their passion, to their purpose. And he has this unique way of framing all this called expectation therapy. And we'll get into that here as we get into the show. But welcome, Art Costello, to the show. Art, welcome. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for having me on today, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, well, it was uh, just it, it was amazing to be 
uh, honor to be on your show and, and spend some time there. You're doing amazing work, and we'll get into that as part of that. Now, Art, we'll also know that you had sort of a transformation later in life, and uh, that means all of us can be encouraged. It's never too late. Uh, but let's just kind of uh, step back a bit, Art, and we always want people to kind of know the story or journey of our guests. So where did this all start for you? Where did you grow up, and what's some stories from your childhood as far as the dynamics that went on there? I have some interesting dynamics in my life, and I, I, I grew up and was born in, in Teaneck, New Jersey, and at nine we moved to a uh, farm in upstate New York, and when I call it a farm, I do that very liberally because the house was falling down. It had been built in the early 1900s and hadn't been inhabited in 20 years when my parents bought this farm. Wow. But what was the motivation for them to move? That is a good question because they never shared that with their children. <laughs> they, so uh, it, it has remained a mystery even till now. Yeah, even till uh, my parents have passed away and it's still a mystery to me. Uh, my sister and I talk about it and our subjective view of it is that my older brother wanted to be a farmer and had been involved in New Jersey in the FFA and raising horses and cows and all that kind of stuff on our small five-acre track that we had. And they wanted to buy something bigger and all that for him. And I, and I say that my mom was really the one who wanted to do that. So up until that point, I had always been a huge baseball fan and player and, and Little League and all that stuff. So when we moved to this farm, it was 40 miles from nowhere. <laughs> and uh, I had no neighbors to play with. Uh, we were very isolated. And uh, I had no baseball. And uh, through that process, I became very... Uh, anxiety-ridden, depressed, hurt, uh, and my parents were so busy trying to, my dad had gotten really sick and uh, almost died, and, and I honestly believe my dad was a printer all of his life, and I, I don't think he wanted to be at the farm, and he ended up, after he recuperated from his illness, moving up, up to uh, upstate New York and Rochester to the 60 miles away from the farm, so my mom my little sister and I were left on the farm. My brother, who was 10 years older than us, lived in, in town with, uh, on his own because he was 18 and wanting to be independent. So we rarely saw him out the farm. So we were kind of just kind of stuck out there. And through that process, what happened was is that we had this huge hill next to the farm, and I would go up to the top of that hill and lay on my back and I would have conversations with God. And I was asking what was going to become of me. And I made this trek up that hill so many times and laid there and asked. And one day, laying up there in the blue sky, was clouds were passing by and it was just a beautiful day. And all of a sudden I heard something deep, deep inside of me. And it really scared me because I didn't, I had never had the experience of, of, I think being in touch with my inner self and I heard this voice say, you just have to do, you just have to keep doing and everything is always going to come out. Okay. You know, I made that trip so many times and I began to believe in that voice. Now, and how old were you at that time, Art? 
Nine years old. I was nine. Wow. And, and so, uh, in essence, you sort of felt, if I may, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you sort of felt abandoned by your parents. Oh, no, I, I fe- definitely felt abandoned. And, and really, now, looking back at it with the experience I have now, I was definitely in, in an abandonment crisis. Uh, mm. Now, I, your dad was living you know, north of you. Were your parents separated, or he just simply lived there for the print shop purposes? <laughs> he lived there for the print shop purposes, but they were separated in many ways. My dad is an alcoholic, but he's a functioning alcoholic. Never missed a day of work in his life. Uh, but come Friday night till Sunday night, he was he he drank till he was oblivious, and uh, it took a toll on their relationship. And and it took me years to learn all all of the dynamics in it, but. Um, my mother became very lonely, and I'm sure that that played played into a lot of it. Mm. So, mm. so you know, here you are. You're nine years old. You're really trying to reflect, do the best that you can in that dynamic. You're being encouraged that you know, as long as you keep focused and keep being and doing, that it's going to work out okay. So then, where did it go from there, Art? I figured out the only way that I was ever going to escape my environment escape from that farm was to go into the Marine Corps. And in 1965, I enlisted after I had graduated from high school, I enlisted in the Marine Corps, uh, went to boot camp and a year later ended up in Vietnam. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I went from, you escaped uh, all right. (laughs) Yeah. I went from the uh, pan to the fire or the fire to the, well, you're here now. (laughs) So you obviously survived that uh, event as well. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I, a lot of my survival in Vietnam went back to going up and down that hill because I developed a strong sense of no matter what, I was always going to be okay and I was always going to survive. And one of the things I, I saw in Vietnam with some of the young men was that fear would hit them and they would start saying, I'm not going to make it home, I'm not going to make it, and believe it or not, they didn't, you know, and mm. my positivity never, never left me, and I found a way to even make it more positive, because one night we were coming out of a, a long-range patrol, and we were coming through this village and across this river that the Viet Cong kept blowing up, and uh it was daybreak and we walked around the side, I walked around the side of this hut with my machine gun strung off me and uh, my eyes met this little girl with her hands through a chicken wire fence. We never said a word, I moved through, but our eyes remained in, just locked for probably three to five minutes maybe as, as I maneuvered my way through this. When I go back to our base, I said to uh, the chaplain happened to be out at our compound that day. And I said to him, chaplain, have you ever been out to that little village that we always go through? I said, I saw this little girl and I just had this feeling of seeing myself at nine years old. And he said, that's an orphanage. And I said, you're kidding me. I said, I'd like to help that little girl. So I started telling him what I, we started processing what we could do and Thanksgiving was coming up. So we came up with this plan to, during Thanksgiving to have those kids brought in, the orphanage brought in and the, all the Marines would pair up with them and we would feed them and buy them a little toy or whatever we could get our hands on from home. And, and that, that happened. And uh, the day wow. of the Thanksgiving day, 
uh, when the six buys pulled up and they dropped the tailgates on those six buys and they started, kids started jumping off. Sure enough, this little girl that I saw, saw me and our eyes locked again and it gets emotional for me. And, uh, and this is not just two years later, Art. Art, this is many years later now that we're having this conversation. So obviously, this is deeply rooted uh, this interaction. Is, this is 50 years this year. Wow. Or over 50. I think it's 53 years this year. But anyway, our eyes locked, and she ran into my arms. And that night, I wrote to my parents because uh, my mom had gotten off the farm and my mom and dad got by, had gotten back together in Rochester and living there and my sister was with them. And I said, take every cent I have in the bank, take it out and send it to me because I'm going to put this little girl in school, I'm going to buy her clothes. And a bunch of us Marines started helping this orphanage, but my, my parents formed a thing called Operation Morale, which ended up this huge organization that sent to orphanages in Vietnam essentials like toothbrushes, toothpaste, uh, soap, dish wash towels, and, and, and uh, wash cloths. The cloth. essentials of life, right? The, the essentials of life that we take it so, for so granted. They started collecting clothes. And, and President Johnson at the time, uh, gave my mother uh, an award for the work that she did in Operation Morale and many of the other people. But, um, you know, as, as life goes, the Marine Corps, we had a mission and it wasn't revolved around that orphanage. So I was being, you know, sent to different places in, in the in north uh, part of Vietnam. And but whenever I got a chance, I would go see her and uh, and it, it, it was just great. Well, mm. when it came time to come home, what I did is I asked the Marine Corps if I could bring her home. And of course, being an 18-year-old single <laughs> young guy, they, they said, no, we can't. We can't allow that. You, it just ain't going to happen. So I arranged with Father Volz, uh, the Catholic priest that, that uh, was handling all the stuff through the orphanage there, uh, for me to continue to send stuff, and my parents continued to send stuff. And then in Tet, uh, which was in February of 1968, just after that, I got a letter from Father Bolt saying uh, there's no need to send any money anymore. And uh, he said that during the Tet Offensive, the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese had overrun the village and, and the orphanage, and they used the children as a, as a shield uh, between the Marines and uh, and. Uh, and the village and stuff, and that she had been killed and lost. And uh, I don't, I honestly don't know, know it for a fact because I have no way of, of saying, you know, no way of looking at, at any of the records or anything like that to know for sure. But my, someday I'm going to go back and I'm going to see if I can even find somebody or someplace that knows what happened. But I was devastated by it. But, you know, the rest of my story, life goes on, and I, I got out of the Marine Corps. I went uh, to college, got my degrees in psychology, and uh, just started living life and, and uh, had, a, had a great life for a long time. Met a beautiful blonde in San Diego that, that I asked to marry me, and, and she married me, and we were together 38 years. And, uh, and in 2000, and, uh, September 23rd, 2003, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And uh, 
what happened was uh, she fought valiantly for three years and on September 16th in 2006 she passed away. What happened to me is I fell apart and I never thought I was going to fall apart. I thought I was prepared. I thought I was ready. Wow. Uh, all, all my expectations were were in line and I, I thought I was doing great and uh, I found out I wasn't. <laughs> and I started doing stuff that I wasn't so proud of and I had promised her that I would take care, you know, our children were older. I mean, they were in their 20s and late 20s and early 30s. And I, uh, you know, I told her I'd watch over the kids and everything and, and everything would be okay and watch over the ranch. And I started drinking and not not being very nice and was very kind of out of character for me. So for three years, I acted kind of stupid. And uh, my children finally came to me and slapped me across the head and said, Dad, you promised Mom you weren't going to do this. And that night, I went out on the lawn of our ranch and I laid on my back. And you know what I did. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with God again. And this voice, I hadn't heard it in years, even though I had trusted all these years through the businesses and everything on all the trials and tribulations of raising children and, and you know, the normal things of life. Right. I, I had always still had this faith in me. And I heard this voice. It said, listen, <laughs> I've given you all the tools. You just need to apply them. Mm. It rejuvenated me. It just rejuvenated me. And I got up from that and started uh, writing. And out of that writing came the book Expectation Therapy. And I relied we'll on get, We're going to get into it in a moment. But I want to I back up to a couple of things because you lead sure. gems along the way, Art. And you've had a full and a vibrant life. So our show's not long enough to cover it. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> That's the reality of it. So, but part of what do you think motivated your compassion at the village? What was really driving that, you think? Well, I think that when I when we locked eyes and I saw her, she she happened to be nine years old, which was the exact age when I went through trauma. And I think that it, there was just a connection through the eyes. I through her eyes, I saw myself standing there. Mm-hmm. Many people are could have had that experience. Said, boy, that was impactful, and then just left it alone. But you took action on that. You started to get involved. You were ship doing things. You were investing in. Where do you think those values came from? You know, I, I think it's always come from the belief that I've had, that I learned up on that hill, that I just had to do. I'm always doing something. I don't ever let something go by. I always do something about. That's one of the, one of the things that happens to me is that when things happen, I want to go figure out ways, and, and I don't call fixing it, because I really believe that people fix their own problems, but I try to facilitate others in, in them, their growth so that they can facilitate it, because I had to figure it out all on my own, and I think by doing and having to figure things out on my own, I really value the work it takes to change and transition and become, and, you, and I think triggered with the Marine Corps ethic of, or ethos, whatever you want to call it, of, you know, always being faithful and getting the job done. Marines get the job done. And I, it's, just, it, it's just been ingrained in me, and I'm just a doer. I just do things. 
it seems like um, Art, what you're saying to the to the audience is that sometimes when we get stuck, if we stay stuck, we we lose that fulfillment moment. You, you mean by lying on your back and really getting in touch with this passion for this project is that that re-energized you? Absolutely. I mean, it it brings this vibrancy back to you. You feel fulfilled. You know, when my I lost my wife, I wasn't feeling very good about the future. But I knew that once I had launched expectation therapy in my head, that I had to follow it through to its growth, you know, through its process. I love making things grow, even even flowers. I like planting flowers and gardens and, and that kind of thing. So I like nurturing. I'm a very nurturing person. Mm, so I think that, that that part of it, 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 you know, it's just, it's, you know, I, always, I think of what you're, what we're talking about a lot, because I always wonder what, what was it that drove me to, to do everything I've done? Because I've done a lot of things in my life. I mean, I've been in the music business. I've been, I've had a construction company for years. I've, and I do multiple things at the same time. And I just enjoy, I get a great deal of satisfaction out of making things happen. You know, it's important to me. Mm-hmm. And making a difference out there, which is, you know, a lot of your work now is based, I mean, not only do you have the podcast, you have the book. So let's just dive into Expectation Therapy. What, what is this book about? This book is, is, is really about taking my life story and then I broke it down into a physics formula that I had learned in, uh, in physics in, in, in college uh, that is called the uh, theory of expectation where uh, they have a mathematical formula that will figure out or determine what the outcome of, of an experiment is going to be. And it gives them the probabilities and the possibilities of certain experiments. And I took that and turned it into a behavioral formula, which is basically identify, clarify it, and then solidify it with a written plan. It's very simple, but if you follow the steps of what I've done, it will bring you such joy because it is so simple that it is so fulfilling and it's so immediate. You see immediate results when you start applying the three basic principles of expectation therapy. And I help people, I facilitate people in moving through the process. It's quick. And if you think about it, everything we do is based in expectation. I challenge people all the time, tell me something you do that is not not based in an expectation. And it's really, really hard to do. And I haven't had anybody actually tell me something that they've done that isn't based in an expectation because it, it's the precursor to all of our, our actions. And by working at the root of what people want, I call it wants, needs, and desires are, and figuring them out and, de- and, and defining them, then we can start moving through what's bothering them and what's, what's causing them anxiety, stress, depression. All of those things are all based in unmet expectations. Now, are these unmet expectations our own, or are they what other people have put upon us, or is it a combination of both, or what is it? it? It can be a combination of both, but what I really teach is that you really need to listen to your own expectations, because the expectations of anything else doesn't matter, because you have to live to your own expectations. If you don't, you are never going to 
fulfill and be happy. You now, always, what would you say? And Art, you know that I agree with you. So, but I want to throw out a conjecture just for a moment. Sure. Is some people might be listening to this and say, "Well, you're just being self-centered, Art." How do you respond to that? Where I'm only sort of fulfilling my own expectations is that rather than being focused on self, I need to be focused on others. How, where does that come into play? How would you respond to that? Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of expectations that are put on us that that are societal, uh, that are parental, that are marital, all those things. And they do have a, we do have to honor those, but I'm talking about core expectations that are in the core of you. That, you know, when I talk about that voice I heard, I believe that that's my core. That's my God talking through my core to me. And when I started living to that, I relieved all the stress and, and, and anxiety and all those things that happened that were happening. And I started really taking control of my life. And that's what expectation therapy teaches is to take control of your life. I'm not talking about disrespecting people. I'm talking about being true to who you are at your core mm. and, ha- and having values that are complementary to, to your surroundings, to your family, to your, to your teachers, to your students, to, you know, to everybody around you. It's about, it's about being a good person all around. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's about being powerful because it gives you a tremendous power. Um, there's freedom in it. When, when you live to your expectations and you, and you define them and you know what they are, then you can really start living. You can start being the person that God meant you to be. And, so and I, We're going to get into that here in a minute. So when we think about, sometimes questions come to me, Art, and I just don't want them to slip away, is... <laughs> When we think about a lot of conflict with relationships, would you say a lot of it is unmet expectations, meaning, Art, I want you to act in a certain way, and you're not acting in a certain way, so now you've disappointed my expectations, and that's where conflict comes from? Oh, yes. In, in, in relationships, it's, it's the major cause, you know, whether it be financial uh, expectations, whether it be uh, religious. I mean, every one of those uh, expectations that we have need to need to be congruent with the couple. They need to have worked them out. And I think that's why, you know, I've been so happy in the relationships. And it takes compromise and it takes uh, a lot of emotional intelligence to really identify a lot of these things that are going on. We work with that in the course uh, about how to identify your emotions and, and know what you're feeling. But you have to have realistic expectations. I mean, you know, if you go into a marriage and with expectations of trying to change somebody, it isn't going to happen. People have to change themselves. And, and you know, Ken, that it, it's, if people go into relationships of any kind, whether it's business, marital, or anything like that, and their expectations are not really working with the other person, then you're going to have these conflicts that are going to really put pressure and anxiety and stress on the relationship. I'm thinking about another, a Mort Fortell's book, and he says the, the number one thing that most partners want to do, you know, married or not, is to change the other person, and that's the last thing you should be doing, is that you are, you are connecting with this person to embrace them and give them a place of acceptance rather than try to be your cha- their change agent. Yeah, so, you, you have to accept 
because no one is going to live up to all your expectations. So you, it, it's really about managing your expectations, learning to manage, uh, because no one is going to meet all your expectations ever. Mm. It, it's just impossible, I think. Though, though there are some people, both of us have done counseling, where they think they're... <laughs> <laughs> change that person. I digress completely. So I want to I, I want to make sure because we we only have about fifteen minutes left in the show, and I want to make sure Art that the core steps that you have in expectation um, therapy is really that people get it. So the first step you talked about identify. Mm-hmm. What, what is involved with that? What we do is we'll we work for. And, and I work with people so they identify it, not me identifying it. They have to do the work in this to identify what their wants, needs, and desires are. And then we categorize them of what's, you know, what's realistic. Because people sometimes come up with really unrealistic expectations at the core level. And you have to get them to see what is realistic. But we, we get, it, a lot of the identification is, is them identifying what they really want out of life right now, right at this point. And once they identify it and they know what, what it is, then we get them to clarify it. And, so now and, I'm just going to stop you there, Art, as we process your system. Is What do you think is hindering... You know, prior to meeting you or I, and this is the work that we do, prior to meeting you or I, what's the, what are the reasons that people are, are not clear? They just kind of go through life frustrated and unclear. What, what's contributed to that? They don't listen to their, to their inner self, and they, they fall to the expectations of others because that's what controls them. The majority of the, IP, the people that I work with are being controlled by other people, and they soon learn that they have value when they find out that inside of them is all the greatness, all the love, everything that it's inside them. But they, they keep trying to live to the expectations of others, trying to meet everybody, everybody else's expectations but their own. I see it over and over and over again. Is it fear of being rejected? Is it fear of not being accepted? What are some of the drivers behind that? I think that those are all drivers. The other drivers that I see are that they, uh, they're so, uh, our society in the United States, I think, kind of conditions you to meet the needs of other people more than meet your own needs. And I know that sounds crazy, but, but I just see it over and over again. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's through uh, the school system or parent or parents' uh, parental guidance or where advertisers, where it comes from, but I just see it too much where people just don't really know how to get in touch with them, their inner self and have no idea. Once we start identifying, it is such a huge process. I mean, I tell people, go to, the, go to your safe place. Go where you feel the safest. It can be in your room. It can be on a mountaintop like I did. It can be, it can be on the lake. I mean, it can be anywhere. But wherever you feel the safest, go sit, lay, stand, whatever pace, whatever you have to do. Some people that I have are runners. And while they're running, they, mm-hmm. they actually take themselves into this space of of being inside themselves and listening to their inner self. 
but you've got to find that place where you feel safe and start mm. figuring what you want. And once we have that accomplished, the rest really becomes very, very easy. Mm. And, you know, you get into the clarification part, which is just processing it, just processing and making sure that what you have identified is what you truly want at your core. And then, now, I just want to back up for a second and encourage the listeners that, you know, this is, again, not about being self-centered, but it's about being self-honoring in that every single person has a purpose, every single person has a passion and calling. But if you're living somebody else's, you can't contribute at the highest level. And so this is really about being self-honoring and then contributing at the highest level. Again, not from being self-centered. Sometimes our, we, we've got a lot of exposure to the Asian cultures where we're from. And the cultural expectation is you're going to do what mom and dad say for the rest of your life kind of thing. And mm-hmm. that's what expected culturally. So I would, I would suggest that globally this sort of expectation, it filters through all kinds of different cultures. I remember... Uh, we had a, a parent in our school or the university where our kids were going to, and we had a parent meeting, and they said, well, this is what our daughter's doing. And every every parent says, well, how do you know that? Did you ask her? Well, no, we didn't. So it's interesting how that kind of filters through. So yeah, thank you for that. I just want to encourage everybody listening that you – that it's not about really pushing back and, and, and pushing back against authority. It's really just around honoring self. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I really teach not to push back against authority. I mean, because you, you'll get in trouble. It'll cause you more, more anxiety and pain. And then we've got more work to do. So, you know, but it is about honoring yourself. It's about being true to who you are and who God created. You know, whether whether you believe in God or not, you have to understand that we were pl- implanted with the seed of expectation in each and every one of us, because mm-hmm. that's how we grow and how we become creative and how we become powerful. The people that harness it are our most powerful people in create creative ends of, of uh, society. You can even feel and you just notice the energy really. It's just... Uh, it's just present. It's not something you have to work for. It's just something that exists when people are tapped into that. Now, clarity is number two. What is number three in this step? Uh, solidification is where we take uh, what you've identified and then we start forming a written plan of how to get you there. And, and, and it can involve a lot of different things because it depends on what people's uh, you know, uh, have identified, I have a, I'll just bring up a case study. Do we have time? Sure. I have a a young lady who was in a situation where she was 18 years old, had left home and was living with an older gentleman. Uh, and I say older, he was in his twenties and, uh, she had gotten hold of me through some, some people and started working with me. And I found out, through identifying some of the stuff that she was in a very abusive relationship. And she finally worked it out that she, what she identified is that she wanted to leave this relationship. During this process, she finds out she's pregnant. The gentleman that she was with wanted her to abort the child. So during this, we had to figure out if she wanted to keep the child, abort it, or what her plan was. So she chose to keep keep the child and and leave the man. What we did through all this whole process to cut it short is that we came up with a written plan that involved 
many authority, uh, uh, you know, the police departments, the social services, all to protect her because this man would have killed her. Mm. Uh, had she stayed in this relationship any length of time and, and, and exerted herself in any way, she would have ended up, I'm positive she would not be alive today. So what we did is we came up with a plan. She actually, and because it was the dynamics of this were incredible, not only her, the guy she was living with family, but her family all took his side. Even in the abuse, they told her to, to stick with it, don't, that, that he would change and all this other stuff. And we know abusers don't change. Not, mm. They just don't. So anyway, we've, what we had to do is move her out of state. We started identifying what she wanted to do as a career. She kept the baby. You know, this is three years ago, and I just heard from her recently, and uh, she is so happy that she has kept this child. She is absolutely in the job that is her dream job, and she is flourishing. And, you know, she just tells me, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here today. You know, I wouldn't be as happy as I am. And, and it, it's probably one of the happiest things that, that I, I get goosebumps when I, when well, I talk we do, about it. You know, for those of us in this space, and sometimes you pinch yourself, right, Hart? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just uh, the responsibility, but also just the impact. And you, we, we almost, for those of us that came through this, that maybe we even had our own expectations that this is not something that would happen. We just almost discount the impact that sometimes this can have and uh, congratulations on that and in saving yeah. that person's life and then when we think about you have that you you are confirming through it what is the fourth step then well the fourth step is just working with emotional intelligence and getting people to uh, better identify their emotions because i have found out over time that so many people just miss uh, I don't want to use the word diagnose, but they misidentify their emotions that they're having. So the fourth step is working with their emotions and uh, emotional intelligence and helping them learn how to identify uh, sorrow, fear, love. I mean, all the different emotions we have. Mm. Is there one exercise that uh, you could do in a couple of minutes with the listeners that we could potentially do on our own? around the emotional intelligence work that you do? Well, you know, one of the things um, I always try to do is get people to, um, it's really, that's, that's a good question. Uh, it gets, I try to get people to identify their, their, their feeling of um, acceptance because they have to accept themselves and learn that they're okay so I work a lot with trying to get them to understand the, the good feelings that they have about them, so identify self-love and uh, happiness, you know, because they, a lot of people have been so far away from being happy for so long, they really have a hard time identifying what, what being happy is. So we'll work with a lot of those feelings, positive feelings, because I do so much work with positivity. Uh, that, you know, it, it really becomes important to, to uh, have them identify all the positives in their life and, and stop focusing on the negatives. Mm-hmm. Because well, even, you can, Mar- even Martin Sigelman, you know, talked about that in his book, Learned Optimism, and how 
how we focus on both positive and negative events and our interpretation of those will predict our success in the future. Absolutely. You know, so yeah. that's, that's, oh, what, sure. that's what we do a lot of. So. Well, thank you for that. Now, Art, we have a few minutes left. So before we get into your last bit of wisdom, uh, and I don't mean last, meaning the end, the last of the show, <laughs> is, is how can people uh, find out about you? You can uh, go to expectationtherapy.com, and everything I do is, is on there. Um, we've got some great things coming up. Uh, as I told you before, Ken, we're launching tonight our, our online course. We have an online course there. I'm on all social media. Uh, Man, you have actually done an amazing job. What has been the secret to your success there where, you know, just thousands and thousands of followers online? Where, where did that come from? Uh, it comes from about 10 years of work. <laughs> um, just, uh, I've had some really good teachers uh, with the social media end of it, and I, and I really try to automate things, so... Uh, I use a, a, a lot of good programs, but it's a matter of, <coughs> excuse me, it's a matter of just uh, really caring and contacting. And, and I do a lot of posting, a lot of positive uh, posting on positive expectations, positive psychology, uh, positive quotes from other people. And I just keep doing that. And, uh, and people have just followed me, you know, and, I don't, where can I don't, we, what's the name of your podcast and where can we find it? The podcast is Shower Epiphanies and it's on iTunes, it's on iHeartRadio. Uh, if you'll just go to Shower Epiphanies on iTunes, it'll, it'll pop up and you can subscribe to it and review it. I, I like it and it's very similar to your show. We just talk to people about their journeys and what they've done and, and, and in between it I try to help them and figure it all out, but it's mostly about just being real, you know, and, mm. and genuine. Mm. And it's all, I don't use cuss words and I don't allow cuss words and we keep it clean. I want everybody to listen to it without having to drop an F-bomb here or there. Not, you know, it's just not my style. Yeah, well, thank you, Art, for not using that several times today. <laughs> well, you know, in our, in our podcast part of this world, We've got a lot of podcasters that think they have to throw that in there just to make it a, you yeah, know, so that, so that the, <laughs> the secrets of success audience, uh, you know, Hey, listen, I'll use the odd edgy word. And, uh, but I'm I just, there was an old saying when I was part of Toastmasters and it was when in doubt, don't. Yeah. So, and that was, if you wonder if somebody's going to be offended, then why would you bother? That's not around ideas. That's just really around language. Yeah. So I appreciate that art. And yeah, it's not necessary. It's not needed. And those that do, I, I have my own opinion about it, but I'll reserve it right now. So <laughs> art, when we think about, when we think about, and, and, you know, again, thanks for being on the show, but when, as a sort of a wrap up and you're encouraging others and you, and you're, wanting to listen listeners to consider sort of this last bit of wisdom what would be some suggestion or suggestions that you might uh, give to the listeners before we go uh, about for them to go to the next level in their life and, and to be at a higher level of contribution uh, beyond what you've said so far well I think that it's it's a listening to yourself and just become a doer just really start doing. Even if you don't do it right, there is no such thing as perfection in this world. Perfection is a word that I just don't, don't tie into. And too many people don't 
let fear stop them because they want to be perfect, just do it. Just go out and do it and you see how good it feels. And, you know, whether it's helping people, it's whether it's helping your family, no matter what it is that I do, I try to do it to the best of my God-given ability mm. because that's why I'm here on earth. I'm not here to, to, uh, to do things halfway. I'm here to do them right, not perfect. And I just, that's why I've always done everything I wanted to do because I try anything and everything. As mm -hmm. long as it's legal and, and I'm morally right in my book, I'll try it. You know, I'll, I'll work at it. So, and I just do it to the best of my ability. And that's well, what I think that people need to do. Absolutely. Thank you, Art. If, do you remember uh, Wayne Gretzky, the great hockey player? Oh, yeah. And he always says you miss every shot you never take. That's right. So, and, that is <laughs> and I think that's really what you're saying here is, is that for those of you that are listening, maybe there's an idea, a concept, a, a transition a consideration, something new, and you just have not taken any action on it, well, that's just frustrating you. That's, that's draining you. So you'll know, take Art's ad advice or suggestion and take some kind of action, even a little step, or get in, uh, a hold of him at expectation therapy and then work and process with him in his coaching or his brand new uh, e-course that he's launching. And, of course, by the time this comes out, it's going to be out there and it's just going to be rocking the world online. And isn't that a difference, Art, from when we first started in this industry? Uh, what's possible now to be able to serve people 24-7, even this podcast? I mean, this concept, uh, for those of you listening to podcasts, and I'm a podcast junkie, is, I mean, 20 years ago, this was, wasn't there. And uh, just we have our phones, and we can learn at any time from anybody at anywhere. Yeah, I mean, what it is is it, it, you really have, there's no reason that you can't learn something today. There are mm. so many places to learn, and we all need to keep learning because is when you believe in learning, it opens up the possibility of everything. And that's what I believe in, the possibility of everything. Mm, mm. Everything is possible if you try. Yes, sir. And everything, well, hey, Star Wars, right? Don't, yeah. don't try, do. <laughs> yep. I love it. Well, Art, thanks very much for being on the show. My honor. My honor, Ken. Uh, well, uh, that is Art Costello, Expectations. I mean, that's what we're dealing with. So expectationtherapy.com. Make sure you go and find out more about what Art is doing. But one of my encouragements for you as listeners is that you would just take that moment. You can't act on something you don't know or aren't clear about. And so this whole identity process that Art talked about, that's important. What does he really, really want? If you spent the time, have you gone to that quiet and safe place where you've reflected and then... You know, do it yourself or find a professional to help you with the clarity. It's no embarrassment to do that because everybody has a coach. And so we think about it in sports. Why wouldn't we have that in life? So my encouragement to you is that every single person listening to this, you have a reason to be here. You have a contribution to be made and don't discount yourself. Thank you, as always, for spending your most valuable commodity with us. That's your time. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on. Leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on. And thank you for growing yourself in listening to Secrets of Success. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. 
thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.